Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And one more show to wrap up the week here. We got a great guest, really terrific stuff here from Jesse Simonton from On3. Tried to go around the league, hit on as many SEC teams. Jesse's put out coach rankings, thoughts on all these spring games coming on Saturday. And a lot of the other news items around the SEC looking ahead to the upcoming season. But before we get to that, Florida spring game just wrapped up moments ago. Tried to stay awake as best as I could, and, and I managed to do it for that. It was a tough, tough watch. We'll get to that in just a second. But always love to hit on all 14 SEC teams if we can. And we got a quick one here that we can do. National championship odds from Caesars Sportsbooks. This isn't some online shenanigans sportsbook. This is a legitimate sportsbook. Not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. That you can walk into here in Las Vegas. They they also do Caesars online as well. But official odds for all 14 SEC teams to win the upcoming national championship and no surprise georgia not only the favorite among sec teams favorite in the country to go three for three that'd be incredible wouldn't it georgia two and a half to one to win the upcoming national championship and just behind them no surprise alabama five to one alabama also the second best odds among all teams in the country to win the upcoming national championship. LSU, 14 to 1. So quite a drop off there from Alabama to LSU. 14 to 1 for the LSU Tigers, defending SEC West champs, of course. Tennessee, next on the list, 22 to 1. Hmm. I bet the old Tennessee Homer, Cousin Shane, likes to see that. Again, another big drop off here. Two teams with 50. To one, five zero to one, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. So a lot of respect for the Aggies coming off their five and seven season, big bounce back, perhaps most production returning of all SEC teams. And Ole Miss always a factor under Lane Kiffin. Auburn surprisingly right there at sixty to one. But again, Auburn gets the benefit of the doubt. This is not necessarily an indication of how good their team is compared to some of these others, but Vegas is going to give the the big name programs their respect, going to give Hugh Freeze's respect. Arkansas, South Carolina, and Kentucky all 100-1 to to win the upcoming national championship. Arkansas, South Carolina, Kentucky, 100-1. to Florida, Mississippi State, both 150-1. to Missouri, 300-1. to and then last but not least, Vanderbilt, 1,000 to 1. That's worth a bucket right there. <laughs> not really. you just be throwing your buck away. But it's kind of exciting to see all 14 teams have these odds. And honestly, if there, there's two that stand out to me, not that these two will win the national championship, but I think present outstanding value. LSU, 14 to 1. I, th- I think they've got a realistic shot at, 
to win the upcoming national championship. So much better odds than Georgia or Alabama when you're talking about bang for your buck in Texas A&M. I'm buying back in. I may change my mind completely after we see the spring game all Saturday, but 50-1, to 1, I like those odds because they've got more talent than all but maybe four or five teams. So they have the talent, and the talent matters more than anything. Bobby Petrino, will he de- deliver the coaching to get the offensive side of the ball right? The defense is loaded. I'm just saying, keep your eyes on the Aggies, 50-1. to 1. That's the one. If I'm taking a long shot here, I'm trying to hit a big payday, you know, throw 100 bucks on that, 50-1, to 1, you may be holding a, a winning ticket come the end of the season. But all right, let's talk spring football. We had it here Thursday night, Florida Gators. No surprise, right out the gate, Graham Mertz, the transfer from Wisconsin, he got the start. He played with the first-team offense, and I got to (laughs) say, I can understand why we've got such a competition down there because he struggled. He struggled mightily. Uh, Florida, the first team, didn't even score till the final play of the first half, and there was no scoring in the second half of the game. It it ended in a 7-7 tie. I thought Jack Miller, not that he looked great, but he looked a little bit better than Graham Mertz, much more mobile, a little bit more assertive in the pocket. At least that was my read. But really, I think the takeaway from the spring game, well, there was two, and and they, they go hand in hand. The offense was awful. First 18 plays, they had 25 yards. Missed snaps. There must have been six snaps that were off target that, that kind of blew up drives and plays, and some led to uh, turnovers on downs. I mean, that was a, a train wreck there. But – Flipping over to the other side, you got to credit the defense. I thought Austin Armstrong, our first look at him, I mean, he was going nuts on the sidelines. He seems like a ball of energy out there. Defense was fighting hard. And, you know, third down had just been a gimme down for Florida's defense over the years. Again, just a spring game, not putting too much stock into it, but they played significantly faster and tougher, more physical, bringing blitz from everywhere. I don't know if. Apparently Austin Armstrong was not supposed to do that, but he did it anyway. So I loved to see I loved what I saw from the Florida's defense. That's probably the biggest takeaway. We knew the offense with new quarterback, new offensive lineman. That was going to be a transition, and it certainly was here in this game. But uh, Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, they looked outstanding as usual, looked even better than they were last year. Ricky Persall made a big grab at the end of the first half. Sophomore receiver Marcus Burks, he made a, he scored the first touchdown, one of only two touchdowns in the game, and he had a really nice sideline grab that uh, looked like old Tyrone Prothero from Alabama back in the day, catching a ball behind a defender's back. That was kind of the highlights. Several missed kicks. I think it was three missed kicks in this football game. So a lot of work for the Florida Gators. This was not a pretty game. Thankfully, I didn't see anyone getting injured. Uh, they did land a five-star during the event. So no matter what happened on the field, Florida won here uh, as a program, landing a commitment, no one getting hurt, something to work on, defense getting a lot better. If nothing else, I'm fired up about that. But, uh, I, again, 
you can't read anything into these spring games, at least not much, but certainly understand Florida fans' reservations, wondering why Billy Napier is still calling the plays down there. And he wasn't calling the plays here, and he let his assistants do it. But, man, the offense, it looked rough. And it better not look this rough during the season. Otherwise, it's going to be one hell of a long season there in Gainesville. All right, that's enough of me bashing uh, Billy Napier's offense there. <laughs> let's get let's kick it over to our outstanding interview, Jesse Simonton on three. You guys are really going to love this one. All right, we're pleased to uh, once again be joined by Jesse Simonton. Of course, you know him from on three. He's covered many of the teams across the SEC. Now he covers the entire league. Last had Jesse on during SEC media days. Jesse, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good to be back. Yeah, and so obviously this Saturday, I'm I'm putting this out on Friday. So the, the Florida spring game will have already been played by the time this is out. But we have seven spring games coming up here on Saturday. Uh, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Georgia, South Carolina, and Texas A&M. have no idea why they throw them all at us at once like that. But if is there one or two that you'll particularly have your eye on or anything that uh, that you really are intrigued by this Saturday? I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to catch bits and pieces of a bunch of those. I think, you know, all of them kind of have interesting storylines. Texas A&M, we've talked about it a bunch. You know, it seems like ever since Bobby Petrino was hired, you know, how's that marriage going to work out with Jimbo? Um, you know, these are spring games. You can't make rash reactions. But you can get clues. And so are there hints that the offense has made some sort of progression? Has Connor Wegman have a better connection with Evan Stewart and Aya Smith? You know, I've, I've said this throughout the offseason. It's the plays that was the problem at Texas A&M. It wasn't the players. Jimbo, Fish, Jimbo Fisher's playbook had grown stale. The offense was too slow for modern football. The fact that they were, you know, lacked explosive plays – so do we see some of that on Saturday? You know, that's at the forefront of mind. Obviously, Georgia's quarterback situation, what happens there? I just don't think we're really going to get any clarity either way. We know that Carson Beck um, has generated plenty of buzz, but Brock Vandergriff hadn't seized, hadn't, you know, he hadn't seeded the job. And so I, I think you could totally see Kirby Smart take this thing well into training camp, perhaps even into the, you know, early parts of the season considering Georgia's schedule. So those two things are of interest. What happens, you know, with, uh, you know, Arkansas's offense? You know, what sort of growth has KJ made? You know, he I think he might have hit his ceiling a little bit under Kendall. Um, so maybe a fresh voice there with Dan Enos. That's going to be curious to watch. So those are probably at the forefront of the mind. But all these games, like you said, Tennessee with Nico. I mean, it's the first chance we get to see, you know, Nico mania here. So I, I, I think all of them will offer at least something interesting you know, to have a nice little spring palate cleanser before we have a long off season, you know, going into the summer. Yeah, no doubt. Well, something that you have written about at on three uh, is the Alabama quarterback competition. And again, that spring game's not for a couple weeks, but uh, I really wanted to get your thoughts on, on just the fact that Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, at least from an outsider's perspective, have such differing skill sets. Does that, do you think, add any... Uh, pressure to get this uh, quarterback competition right? Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you have written, you know, you could certainly see them both playing until we get to that Texas game. But, again, their skill sets are so different. 
you almost have to change the offense a little bit depending on which one you play. Does that add any intrigue to that quarterback competition in your mind? I think it could. You know, again, in terms of clues, I think, you know, in two weeks when they play the A-Day game, what what does Tommy Reese's system look like? We know it's the Alabama offense. That's been clear. Nick Saban's run through all these coordinators with lots of success, but they have come in and they have run the system that he wants to run. The difference is each one, whether it was Stark, Kiffin, last couple of years, Bill O'Brien, they've all you know had their fingerprints and flair on the that that group. So what does that look like with Tommy Reese? We know that at Notre Dame, he wasn't afraid to run the quarterback, so that would suggest that you know a guy like Jalen Milrow would find some success in that system. At the same time, he also was a guy that liked to push the ball vertically via the play-action passing game, and I think that's something that kind of plays to Ty Simpson's strength. So what do we maybe see more of, uh, you know, in two weeks on A-Day, perhaps could offer some clues as to where maybe Alabama's leading. Yeah, maybe they do play both. I think for both Georgia and Alabama, there was some thought with both those competitions that maybe the loser uh, would perhaps enter the the, the portal, you know, post-spring. I don't think that's going to happen for any of the programs. I think they're all going to enter the fall with fairly, you know, deep quarterback rooms. Um, So that – I means a team like Auburn, you know, is kind of left holding the bag here because we know that they're looking for a quarterback. Uh, I think the best news, and this is one of the articles I had recently, um, and on three for Alabama, the best news this spring, independent of who they ultimately choose to play quarterback, is the fact that Nick Saban has been so optimistic and so publicly confident at the pieces around the quarterback. Last year, Bryce Young had to do everything for him. He had to be Superman. Um, you know, he didn't have the first round wide receivers like he had the year he won the Heisman Trophy. He didn't have an offensive line that was overly consistent. The running game is as good as Jameer Gibbs is, and I think he's an all-world talent. He wasn't a guy that you could give the football to on a down-to-down basis. Flash forward, you know, to this spring, they believe the wide receiver group is much better. That five-star, you know, Juco kid they got, Benson, has, you know, drawn Henry Ruggs comps. That's not nothing. Uh, Justice Haynes, you know, the kid who spurned Georgia, five-star running back. He has, you know, sounds like he may emerge as a bellwether back, and that's a deep backfield already with Jace and Rondell Williams and some of the other guys. So I think the fact that they at least feel a lot better about what's going to be around the quarterback maybe at least gives them a little bit of security that whoever they choose, and stylistically you're right, they are different. What Ty can do is much different than the athleticism that Jalen presents Whatever they choose, they believe there's not going to be a wrong answer ultimately because of what's going to surround those guys. Well, you talked about Auburn there, and there's so much optimism with Hugh Freeze. They're they're off to a hot start on the recruiting trail. They beat out Clemson for a, a top quarterback here recently. And fans, this is the SEC, Jesse. I, I understand what he inherited, but I'm already getting people. Can we win 10? Can we win 9? Um, I don't think they're – they're probably not saying that after uh, exiting the spring, given that Hugh Freeze was so interested in, in hitting the portal. Uh, do you think spring kind of tempered expectations a little bit for Auburn fans? I mean, you're not winning nine games with, with that receiving core. So barring a massive influx of talent, you know, on that side of the football, you know, restocking that room, that's just not an SEC room right now. I mean, Vanderbilt has – infinitely better skill players than Auburn Vanderbilt and that's not and that's not even you know 
that's not even besmirching Vanderbilt skill players. I don't think some of those guys, those sophomores they have are really good. Um, but it just shows the lack of talent, I think, on the planes at that position. The running back room is nice at Auburn. I think the kid, the transfer they got from South Florida is going to be really good. It sounds like the offensive line should be much better. We know that was a major issue a year ago. But if you don't have the receivers, and at minimum, there's at least uncertainty at quarterback. You know, I, I don't I, – Robbie Ashford's never going to be an all-SEC talent. He obviously could be a capable starter for them, um, you know, running that Hugh Freeze RPO offense. But I think the fact that it's been pretty clear that Hugh has been pretty open and candid all, you know, spring that – we're going to go quarterback hunting. You know, we, we need another guy. We need to at minimum for competition and perhaps even to start. And so, you know, unfortunately for them, I think it, the picking is going to be fairly thin. You know, a lot of those guys have already found homes. Perhaps others will, you know, enter, opt to enter the transfer portal. But again, I mentioned the guys at Georgia and Alabama, barring a last minute change, it certainly seems like they're not going anywhere at Ohio State. Was Devin Brown going to transfer or Kyle McCord if they didn't win the job? Well, now that job is not going to be decided until the fall because of an injury. So the picking is going to be thin. A guy like TJ Finley is talking about maybe leaving Auburn because he's not going to be the guy. Those are the kinds of guys that, you know, Auburn may be having to go, you know, mind with. There's a kid from Old Dominion that did just enter the portal a day or two ago. He has a lot of experience. Um, that's a big, you know, competition you know, moving from the FCS like that to, to the SEC potentially, but he's at least, I guess, an option that has had success and experience. So we'll see. I think it's clear, though, no matter, you know, what happens in the coming weeks, Auburn has to land another wide receiver or two. And I, I think, obviously, they want to grab a quarterback as well. Well, speaking of expectations, I mean, expectations are sky high still on Rocky Top, despite losing some uh, upcoming NFL draft picks. What's your confidence level that Joe Milton, it'd be completely unfair to say Hendon Hooker 2.0 because their skill set's so different, but what's your confidence level that he can come in and, and run that offense efficiently? Or do you think uh, there's a chance, not day one or anything, but maybe by the end of the season, that Nico is starting for Tennessee? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I'm as fascinated by, as any to see kind of what Nico looks like, even just in the you know initial glimpses uh, in a game like setting on Saturday. Um, we know that Joe Milton has a rocket, you know, attached to his right arm. It's kind of you know the mechanics and has he shored up some of those issues that made that rocket kind of spray, you know, uh, a little wildly. Where sometimes it didn't seem like he could throw you know throw it into the ocean if the water was right underneath him. So. Um, it, it's kind of funny though, Mike, I, I almost look at Tennessee right now. And again, it's the spring. We'll get more information on Saturday. We'll do that with what we will. And then we'll get even more information once training camp comes around. I almost feel it's like the, you know, antithesis of what I was talking about with Alabama. I'm less concerned because I know Heupel's track record with quarterbacks of whether it is Joe Milton or whether it is Nico, obviously a five-star freshman there's going to be added pressure there if he does have to start but I'm almost less concerned with that with Tennessee's offense than I am about just the questions at offensive line that quietly was a really good group a year ago you lose Darnell Wright you lose another piece I know you got you know Cooper Mays and some other guys back I'm just not so sure the guard play is going to be as good no Jerome Carvin um 
And then, you know, Jalen Hyatt is going to be a top, you know, 50 NFL prospect. Cedric Tillman, while he was hurt a bunch last season, when he did play, he was productive. He's going to be a top 50 NFL prospect. I know they think that they can just plug and play Brew McCoy and Squirrel White, but I don't know if that room is going to be quite as good. And so, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious just about what's going to surround Tennessee's quarterback situation in 2023, almost less so than, you know, the Joe Milton versus Nico storyline right now. Now, I love the fact, Jesse, over at On3, you, you wrote about Jimbo and Bobby Petrino and all that and, and selling a hill of beans. That, that was my favorite line from that piece that you had. Jimbo basically saying all offenses are, are the same and all that garbage that he was trying to sell. What's your level of concern? And that may not even be the right word because, hell, they just went five and seven with the preseason top ten team. I mean, concern it was probably a year ago. But I also got to give you credit, Jesse – at SEC Media Days, we talked, you were literally the only one, and we had so many different conversations with different people. You were the only one that said, keep your eye on LSU because they have the pieces to contend for the SEC West. I, you didn't pr- predict they would win it, I don't believe, but you said they could. Does A&M potentially have that in them to – certainly, again, I'm not pre- asking you to predict they'll win the West, but do you think – you know, if everything breaks right, they could potentially do that. Yeah, I think they have the players. They really do. I mean, this is an offensive line, you know, that's returning almost every starter. Uh, they, they, you know, an all a, a all freshman kid just entered the portal because he's lost his job to a better player. You know, I mean, this is, that's, that's going to be a deep group. Again, the fact they got Anaya Smith back, I think, is huge. Uh, Evan Stewart led the SEC in receptions a year ago as a freshman in sec play now he wasn't breaking off a ton of big plays they were all short you know little you know uh quick hitters and whatnot but i do think the the talent's there i mean they signed 18 top 100 prospects two years ago now not all those guys are still on the roster several of those guys have transferred out but the majority are that defensive line with shamar stewart and some of those guys should be even better a year you know with a year in the system um it's just how does that staff coalesce? I think, again, the players are there. Let's look at the plays. We know that Jimbo has at least nominally, and I say that in giant air quotes, nominally seated, you know, some power on offense. Um, we'll find out in the fall, though, you know, in week two when they go to or whenever it is, they go to Miami early in the season and, a couple, you know, you have a couple three and outs. Does he take over play calling again? Who knows? defensively, you know, DJ Durkin, it's just a weird staff, you know, it's DJ Durkin. It's, you know, um, what's his name from Boston college, Steve Adazio (laughs) from Boston college. Yeah. It's just a lot of interesting personalities. So I'm not worried about Texas A&M's talent. I think that's going to be there. I I, I think it's how everything else kind of coalesces. And yeah, you're right. I did not pick LSU a year ago. I had Bama. I did pick LSU to finish second because I did believe they had, the ultimate kind of Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, and they proved that they, they, they ended up proving that correct because they, you know, there's some weeks that that thin roster showed its ugly head, but at the same time they had, you know, some serious talent and upside. Um, and I will not be surprised if come, you know, July when we're sitting down together in Nashville at SEC media days that the majority of the people I think o- overall are going to pick the Tigers and not the Tide 
to represent the West again in 2023. I don't know where I'm leading yet, but I think the I think the media is going to make that pick. I, I say that uh, with some some confidence, you know, as we sit here in in mid April. Right. Well, another team that is is going to be a runaway favorite to win their division, of course, Georgia. That they're probably going to be the favorite to win the entire conference yet again you referenced the quarterback competition let me let me put it to you this way does it even matter because given their schedule um i mean my biggest concern for georgia potentially is them going into that tennessee game and being essentially untested but and and i don't think one game is going to define or derail their potential there but i mean does it even matter who wins the job down there in athens yeah i mean it may not uh but i do think that perhaps downplays just how good Stetson Bennett was. I know he kind of was a national, you know, punching bag for, for the last two years because he was the little walk on and he wasn't Bryce young as, as this Heisman five-star guy. He wasn't the freak that Will Levis and Anthony Richardson were, but he was a damn productive quarterback. And he ended up, you know, uh, leading the last two seasons, one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Everyone looks at Kirby and thanks defense and all the five first rounders they had, you know, in the previous NFL draft, this is an offense that ranked in the top 10 in a bunch, top five in a ton of categories. And so they don't, they, Georgia doesn't, I'm not saying they can't afford, but I think that they believe that they're capable of maintaining that success, but it is about finding the right trigger, man, because they're pl- plenty talented around the quarterback position. You bring in Missouri's, best receiver you bring in arkansas's or mississippi state's best receiver um to pair with brock bowers and mcconkey running back rooms nice the offensive line i think is a major strength one of the best in the country so we'll see you're right about perhaps they'll be untested before uh you know the tennessee game but i think one of kirby's biggest strengths and you know it's, it's a maniacal and crazy how he's pulled this off but he's made this team of four and five stars believers that it's us against the world each week. And yeah, they had, they had the game against Missouri a year ago, but other than that, they showed up and just pounded teams, uh, whether they were 30 point favorites or whether it was one verse three, like when Tennessee came to Athens. Well, one team that used to do that, Jesse, that, uh, that was missing last year was Kentucky. What's your confidence level that uh, bringing Liam Cohen back will fix all the issues that Kentucky had? Because I'll tell you, Jesse, someone close to uh, Liam Cohen reached out to me this week and said, following spring, he's a little disappointed with with what they have to work with. And and that surprised me because I, I know they got the quarterback, the running back, they got the receivers, but it's that offensive line, the tight ends, H back. I think they're going to be looking in the portal to add those pieces, but I, who knows if they'll get it or not. Yeah. To me, I mean, it, it, I love Kentucky's receivers. I think the Dane and, and I mean, I think those, I think those sophomores are really good. The fact that they were able to hold on to those guys, you know, when some other sec teams and some other teams outside the sec, I think had real interest in, in seeing if what their level of interest was maybe in transferring. Um, so that's, that's some interesting insight there from, from, you know, someone close to Liam, because I, I, have a similar just concern that, you know, the drop off in coaching, I think ever since, uh, you know, that their offensive line coach passed away a couple of years ago, then you lose your coach to Alabama. The very next season, Wofford goes to Alabama and that big blue wall suddenly has some real holes in it. 
you know, it's, 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 it's not a wall anymore. It's kind of a fence. And so <laughs> if you're allowing, if you're allowing, you know, folks to kind of come bust through and we saw that, I mean, that Will Levis took a beating. Chris Rodriguez did not have the the typical room he had had the previous couple seasons to operate in the backfield. And when your whole identity, Mark Stoops' whole identity is built on toughness and physicality, um, the nice skill talent's nice, but that's not what's going to lead the way. And so I, I I think how far Kentucky's offensive line goes is how far the team's going to go as a whole. It was the same a year ago, and they struggled mightily, and look what happened. The team regressed. Better play caller, better offensive designer. I think they absolutely upgraded there, moving on from Rich and going to Liam, going back to Liam. Um, but if you can't – this is a game about blocking and tackling. And if you can't block – you know, there's only so much else you can do. Right. You know, I, I don't try to be as optimistic as, as humanly possible on every team, Jesse, in the offseason. And then the season rolls around and fans will turn on a coach. And I'm not predicting that'll happen, but what are the odds that Florida fans, by the end of the season, kind of start to turn on Billy Napier? I know the recruiting is going extremely well. So, I mean, I, I think they're on the right path there. Maybe started that a little the, the mass exodus started that a little late, but with Florida State rising, with Tennessee seemingly rising, losing to Kentucky and Vanderbilt, I mean, I just don't know if you can lose all these games again and these fans not go crazy. I I mean, it, there's just a lack of there. You're right. There's success on the recruiting trail, notwithstanding, but otherwise, there's just a lack of juice. I think around Florida's program right now. Um, and the fact that, like you said, their rivals, Florida State and Tennessee, seem to be on the come up. Your biggest rival, Georgia, has just won back-to-back national championships and is the favorite to at least get back to the college football playoff again in 2023. And and Billy's biggest problem, I think Billy has a found has a very sound plan. I think he's a meticulous, uh, you know, um, I guess planner. He, you know, he's a guy that. He, you know, everyone's written about this army of staffers and all this kind of guys. You know, Napier walked in here with a giant book um, and said, this is what I want to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how, how long it's going to take. I think the last part is the issue, how long it's going to take. You can have all the plans that you want to be basically Georgia and Alabama just in Gainesville. The problem is Georgia and Alabama. Yes, Alabama didn't make it to the national championship, but they're not slipping they're still signing the best classes too so you're not going to out recruit and out develop them when they're already stacking these you know studs on top of other studs whereas you're literally putting studs in the ground you're trying to build the foundation how long is that going to take you miss a bowl game or you you have a losing season excuse me in year one back-to-back losing seasons now in Gainesville for the first time since the 70s it's, it was like the Eisenhower administration, I think, the last time they had three straight losing seasons. So this is a team that it's just – it's teetering it's teetering right now, Mike. And the schedule is brutal. You go to Utah, and then you have a tough SEC slate. Um, it's tough. LSU, another team, another rival, on the rise. You know, made it to SEC championship game in year one under Brian Kelly. So I don't know if Billy Napier is in danger of quote unquote getting fired if they miss the bowl game or something like that in 23, but I do think he he faces kind of um, some mounting pressure. And you know, don't forget, 
there's a lot of folks in Gainesville that are not particularly happy with Scott Strickland. And that's another whole dynamic. Florida's athletic director. It's not just the Napier hire. Obviously, he also hired Dan Mullen. That didn't work out. But it's some of his other hires, what's happened with the women's basketball program, the fact that the men's basketball program, you know, missed the NCAA tournament with their new young pup at head coach. So new new school president down here in Gainesville, AD that's a little embattled. None of that helps a football coach that also, you know, whether it was his fault or not, didn't, didn't exactly deliver real results in year one. A final team I wanted to ask you about, Jesse, Arkansas. What, where do you think that thing is headed, confidence level that they can – you know, it's not like they're, they're in the basement or anything, but they have lost some momentum. I believe they were number two in, in losing players to the transfer portal in the SEC. Of course, they signed a bunch of guys too, and, they, and they've done a really good job with their portal additions under Sam Pittman. Reworked coaching staff. Uh, what's your confidence level that they can get that trending in the right direction once again? Well, I think it's. I think some of Sam's comments this spring have been noteworthy in that he believes kind of the new look staff in Fayetteville just fits better. And why, to me, that's noteworthy. It's not that that's not every coach is going to praise. We know this. Every coach is going to praise that their current staff is better than the last one. Yada yada yada. But it's noteworthy because he was a guy that was so particular the last past seasons about how staff continuity was important and the fact that they had brought – they were the only school, one of the only schools in America that had brought back the same offensive and defensive coordinators the last three seasons, that they didn't have these other moves. But I just think whether it was staleness or whether the chemistry just had run its course, there needed to be a course correction there, you know, on that staff. And so the fact that Sam feels like Dan Enos, Travis Williams, some of the other guys they have now on staff, their offensive defensive coordinators new there. Um, I think they like that mesh and that I think the fit uh, has kind of worked well with that team. It's going to be, you know, we know, we know they have KJ. We know they got rocket. Um, who kind of fills in for Matt Landers and, you know, Hazelwood at wide receiver, I think is going to be interesting. And then really for that defense to work, you have to have some really good defensive linemen. And that's what they were missing a year ago. They just did not have, they had the linebackers, the secondary got torched, but that wasn't a surprise because they had lost so many guys to the portal. They've added some, some, you know, pieces in the defensive backfield via the transfer portal what does that defensive line look like? And can they at least be a stout unit to hold up when you're running this three, three, five stack, you know, defense all the time. All right, Jesse, I want to close out with your uh, sec coach rankings. I mean, just the perfect off season material here to get people worked up. I, w- I just I want to highlight the top real quick. Kirby smart. Number one, the greatest college coach of all time, Nick Saban, number two, two part question. How, easy was it in your mind or did is it to put Kirby number one and why do you hate Nick Saban why do I hate Nick Saban? a lot of Alabama fans are asking the same thing um to me it's it, this is a this is a what have you done for me lately sport again we're talking about Billy Napier is on the hot seat maybe at least facing pressure because of a poor year one you know ADs are as trigger happy uh as any right now and so in that context, the fact that Kirby's won back-to-back national championships, I think, just makes him unequivocally the top right now. That doesn't mean the GOAT 
can't become, you know, the king of the throne again uh, as soon as this fall, if he tops Kirby in the SEC championship game, or if Alabama wins, you know, the national championship, Nick Saban will rightly assume, uh, you know, the number one spot again. But I take everything into account. I take the ability to, you know, build a staff. I think Kirby's excellent there, obviously. I think recruiting, um, what you've done in the transfer point, you know, all that kind of stuff is how I kind of come up with what is absolutely a very subjective uh, list. There is that you you can't make an objective coach rankings list. You're all going to have kind of your own flair on it. So I have Kirby one. Nick is a very close to when my top 25 overall coaches come out in two weeks for the whole country on on three. It'll they'll be one two in the rankings. There they're they're paired together. Obviously, their careers um, will forever be linked because of what they did together at Alabama. Uh, but right now, Kirby won, Nick two, and I don't hate Nick Saban, but Alabama fans certainly think so. <laughs> Could you ever imagine, Jesse, when, when Josh Heupel took over Tennessee and there's you know, 25, 30 players jumping in the portal that two years later he'd be number four on, a, on your SEC coaches list? No, I mean, I, I've been – extremely impressed with what he's done the, the way he's really changed that culture and a lot of folks in knoxville have talked about it the fact that you know jeremy didn't leave yet they did get hit hard by the transfer portal and you lost like guys like toa toa and crouch and some other you know major contributors but jeremy and that staff whether it was the mcdonald's bags or whatever they did not leave an empty roster and we saw that last year that offensive line was built on the back of guys that Pruitt and his staff had signed. The running back, Jabari Small, a guy that Pruitt had signed. Now, they weren't great at developing some of these kids, which is why Heupel deserves so much credit for what he and his staff have done. But I think the biggest switch is that those guys, just for multitude of reasons, they didn't like going to the building when Pruitt's staff was on campus. And it was not an atmosphere that I think was bespoke to confidence and enthusiasm and, you know, had guys enjoying the game and Heupel has come in and flipped that. And now those guys, you know, those guys eat, sleep and do everything there. And it's not like that. They love, they love practicing. They love, uh, you know, being around their teammates and around the staff. And so he's changed the culture there. It's an over, you know, um, rote term, especially in college football, culture, culture, culture. But in some instances, it's real. And that's what Josh Heupel's done. And the fruit is bared. You know, what they did a year ago, Tennessee's best season, um, you know, in several decades. Uh, we'll see if they can kind of continue that ascent. Like we said, I think there's some concerns offensively. Obviously, what sort of growth have they made? You know, as Tim Banks' unit made on defense, I think is going to be a huge uh, question mark and litmus test for, you know, the ceiling of the program. But Heifel being number four is well-deserved. No one would have had him probably in the top 10, you know, a year ago. Um, but now he's considered one of the best coaches in the conference. So good good on him. Well, another one you've obviously very impressed with, you got Shane Beamer, number six. Not exact same circumstances, but he took over something of a train wreck. Jesse, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I, I heard, I don't know if it was like a year or two before he got the South Carolina job. He couldn't get an interview at East Carolina. So – I mean, just the rise that he's had, what what gives you such confidence to put Shane Beamer as, as the number six SEC coach heading into the season? 
again, I, I think he's a guy that's kind of changed the attitude within his program. Will uh, Will just didn't work out, and it kind of flamed out ultimately at South Carolina. And he he like Jeremy did leave Shane some talent. Shane has been on record uh, with complimenting Muschamp that you know this wasn't com- completely an empty cupboard. The problem at similarly at Tennessee was just depth, and we've kind of seen um, where South Carolina has struggled in some of these games because they don't have the depth. And yet, uh, I think it's very noteworthy that even when the Gamecocks have struggled at times the last two seasons, they played with a super close margin. Uh, you know, in Shane's first year to squeak out a bunch of close wins, and you go seven and five, and then last year you're kind of struggling, kind of teetering along, petering along, and then boom. You know, we saw what happened in back-to-back weeks against Tennessee and Clemson. The guys never quit on Shane. So even when they're struggling, um, I think he has kind of the pulse of that locker room, the pulse of the coaching staff. Um, he's an, you know, he's. I, I wrote last year after during SEC media days. One of the best things about Shane is that he's, you know, unabashedly Shane Beamer. He's a little corny. He's a little, you know, silly. Um, he's not everyone's flavor of ice cream. But that's okay with him. He's very comfortable in his own skin. And I think that authenticity plays. I think it plays with recruits. I think it plays with the locker room. Um, and so if if he's able to deliver a big season, you know, it would not surprise me at all if, you know, some bigger program can call it. Now, South Carolina, because of the SEC money um, and some of the other resources there, uh, are probably better positioned than most to keep a guy like Shane Beamer, you know, in, in town. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that, again, I, I think uh, his, his arrow is trending upward, um, especially at a job that, 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 that historically has been very difficult to win at. All right, Jesse, I've taken up enough of your time. I, I can't thank you enough for joining me. I hope to see you down at, uh, like you said, Media Days in Nashville. Before you go, can you tell the audience where's the best place to find all your work? Yeah, man, come follow me at uh, Jesse R.E. Simonton. That's Jesse R.E. Simonton on Twitter. Um, you can bookmark my page at On3. Just type in Jesse Simonton On3. I'm on the front page plenty too, but you can also just hit that little tab, bookmark it, and uh I have pieces coming out regularly, so so follow me, SEC. Appreciate you having me, Mike. Always good to catch up. It's always a good time with the Gator Dog. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Ball quest all day. Thank you, guys. (laughs) All right, so just want to say thanks again, Jesse, for joining the show, giving us so much time to finish the week strong. How about that? Three interviews to cap the week here. Don't forget Saturday, live show, first time I'm doing it. Recap these spring games after they happen. And the Tennessee homer, Cousin Shane, back from vacation next week. He's currently en route right now is what I'm told. He's dreading going back to work. But he'll be back to brighten up a show. I, I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out this week, uh, even though it's been so low in interviews here. But uh, trying to make these as good as we can. Enjoy the football on Saturday. Tons of action here. Seven spring games. Soak it in while we got it on the fence about whether to attend the game or watch the games. Just thinking a month you'll be dying for these spring games. So enjoy them. I know I will. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one. Not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans.
Hey buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.